Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. Dave, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Thank you. So, um, my first question is easy. Who are you? Who am I? That is a question that's constantly evolving, it seems, but I can boil it down to I am a minimalist carry-on traveler. I've been traveling the world for the past 10 years out of carry-on luggage, and I am currently building a journaling business where I am teaching people how to build a consistent self-reflection practice through journaling for themselves. Beautiful. Journaling is definitely one of our favorite subjects here in the podcast. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wonderful. So the first real question is always the same. I always start off the conversation by asking people, when you hear the words relating to self, what does that mean to you? Or what does it bring up in your mind? Mm. Right now, relating to self brings up in my mind the basically remembering who I am. And it is all about unlearning, I think, for me. I had this interesting conversation where someone was talking about when we are growing up as children, there is this battle between authenticity and acceptance. And as we grow older, we continually give up these parts of authenticity so that we are accepted usually by our parents or caretakers, and our goal is to survive. And so given the choice to be our true authentic self and to be accepted by the people taking care of us, we give up these little bits of authenticity. And so for me, coming back to that true version, this true authentic version that I have forgotten or given up is what relating to self means to me at the moment is how do I get back to this, this space? How do I remember who that person is? Mm. Well, that's a great question. I would love to ask you, how do you remember? But first, I would love to hear more about your thoughts on what authenticity really means. Because um, I thought a lot about my true authentic self. And I seem to have come to the point where I believe that there is no such thing. Mm. Um, it's like layers and layers of stories and learned behaviors. And the the deeper I go to that core of like, you know, what is my authentic self? I kind of realize that at least it's not a distinct thing. I believe that my authentic self is always a relationship to the world around me, to the people around me, to the context in which I'm in. Mm. And so I'm curious how, how you perceive your true authentic self, what does that even mean to you? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I perceive it as my true authentic self is vulnerable. And oftentimes I, for me, the practice has been in these moments of conversation, there is an impulse, an immediate impulse. And for me to come back to that authentic version of myself, it's following that impulse as often as possible. That, that first initial moment where, yeah, there's a thought or a feeling to do something. And then oftentimes what happens to me is a voice will come in. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not okay. And so there is this part of the authentic self is that first impulse that wants to come out before the voices in my head have things to say about that. And yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I really like that, actually. This idea of vulnerability. Um, I guess what you're saying is something like, I am truly authentic in the moment before I mask my vulnerability in order to survive, you know, the learned behaviors. And I'm, I'm curious about this thing, this impulse you talk, you talk about, right? I've, I've been experimenting myself with this impulse because that's a good word, I think. It's, diff it's distinct in my mind from desire. Desire feels like a more evolved version maybe of, of impulses. But I was, I was traveling in Japan a while back and I gave myself a lot of time which means that after doing all the things I wanted to do, there was a lot of space and time in which I didn't really have a plan. And one of my practices mm. became waking up in the morning and not getting out of bed until I found or perceived some kind of impulse to do something specific. So not just get out of bed by habit mm. and then start doing things automatically, but really think through like, feeling in my body and going like, what is my impulse right now? And then sometimes a clear impulse would arise and then I would do that. Sometimes it wouldn't and I would get out of bed because, well, I had the impulse to go to the toilet before, <laughs> for example. But um, I'm, I'm curious, like for you, what does this impulse feel like? Or how do you know when you are acting from that specific impulse? Yeah, for me, the impulse is usually... Uh almost a catching of breath and it usually happens i can most often find the impulse when i'm in connection with another person and during that connection with another person there will be um, an impulse to say something there will be an impulse to establish physical connection there will be an impulse to pull away and oftentimes there is this this immediate feeling of like like this and it's this for me it's, it's a fear of of being seen in that moment which is why i think it manifests as like a oh my gosh i want to do this thing and then almost immediately the voices will come in and try to rationalize why it's a good idea or why i shouldn't do it or what the person might think of me if i do it uh, and so yeah often for me it manifests in this this almost a catch of breath in my uh, in the center of my chest. Beautiful, yeah, I really like that. And I'm curious then if you have any kind of practice to well not prevent that from happening because it will happen, right? But like, mm. what do you do to catch yourself and then act differently? I imagine. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, lately, I have been putting myself in safe containers where the idea is to play in these areas where impulses come. And so in these containers, that gives me the, the this feeling of safety that when I follow this impulse, I'm not going to be cast out or shamed. And so a lot of my practice lately has been around this idea of shame. And you were mentioning something earlier about relating to other people and this, this idea of your authentic version of yourself. And another word that comes up for me when I'm thinking about it, that is this idea of shame. And when I feel this shame, there is this moment of becoming more aware of that and digging deeper into what exactly, what part of me is feeling the shame. And that is often times when I can notice that shame is, are these parts of myself that, these authentic parts of myself that have been repressed. And so, yeah, that's, that's another element of, of what comes out when I can put myself in these safe containers are these moments of really getting to play of what feels shameful and not have to worry so much about the consequences that come, that could potentially come after them of me bringing this part of myself out. And, and in my experience, that's always my biggest fear is that I'm going to be shamed or humiliated at this authentic version of myself. And so when I can put myself in these containers where I can play in this space and be received and witnessed and welcomed, then that relaxes my nervous system and allows me to then go into real life and 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 play more with with these feelings of impulses and shame yeah so it sounds like you have these spaces that feel safe for you where you can practice and then you're able mm -hmm. to bring that practice into real life yeah yeah that sounds um very on point and quite similar to my process at the moment mm. I'm I'm curious if you could talk us through the way that you say that you, you know, tune into that shame and feel into which parts of you maybe are feeling the shame. Do you have a, like a process for that? Is there some kind of protocol you follow? Um, there's not a protocol that I follow on a regular basis, but, but there are some exercises that I've I've done in the past to to start identifying these parts of myself that are sh shamed and I think one of the most powerful exercises I I did was both around like looking at what you would consider bad habits, right? And and anything that you label a bad habit is a a great space to dive in. But I think the more powerful exercise I did came from it was more of a thought exercise of thinking back to childhood and trying to remember these moments where adults minimized me and would say, oh, you can't, why are you always like this? Or why are you doing X, Y, and Z? For me, it was, it was things around being annoying, actually. And so I have this, this very deep trigger, or maybe not trigger is not the right word, but when people call me annoying, that takes me back to a very precise time in my childhood at parents or adults or coaches saying like, oh, when are you going to stop? Why are you continuing to poke me? So the, the whole idea behind the exercise is when you can find these moments when you're younger, 
when someone has minimized you, these are basically signs of jealousy. When you can find these bits where people are jealous of you, this is these are parts of you that are extraordinary. And when you're so young to hear that you shouldn't be something immediately starts this process of shame and, and repressing it. When really these are these are the parts of you or the parts of me that I should be bringing out to the world. These are these are my gifts, and so through that exercise of identifying it and running through some questions, which I can't remember the precise questions now, but it brings this awareness of what I was looking for in those moments was presence, and so when I could not feel the presence of the coach or the parent. Or whoever, I would poke and prod until it brought them back into awareness of me and what I'm I'm talking about. And so in these moments of being annoying, what's really happening is that I have a deep awareness of someone's attention. And when they're not giving it to me, I call them back into presence. Yeah, 100%. I, I hear you. But it's beautiful to have this idea of digging in your past from mm. those kind of moments and then from there identifying. Um, I find that quite difficult, as in accessing those memories because it's a long time ago as well. Right. Um, I need to be in a specific kind of state uh, almost to mm. be able to do that. And I, I wonder how that is for you. But for me, it's like that's almost easier in the moment that I'm triggered or in the moment that I feel that shame again, because mm -hmm. then it's easier to remember like, oh, I felt like this before. But when I'm just, you know, grounded and, and clear in my mind, and then I sit down, I'm going to journal now about, you know, the moments in my past where I felt shamed, that's somehow quite difficult. Yeah. So do you also practice that when you actually feel the shame again? Or are you able to think that through when you are just um, completely grounded? Mm. At this point, it, it's, it's seems yeah, when I feel the shame, there has become this more this moment of awareness of of here's this this feeling, and oftentimes it is around this this annoying this annoying energy, right? And so that's where I have a lot of, of deep shame. Um, oftentimes, yeah, there's there's shame around um, my silliness, and so. Yeah, at this point, there's it, it's it's more and more rare where I'm I'm caught off guard and be like, oh, what was that? Where it it usually comes back to these 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 elements around silliness and annoyance, and uh, those are where the, the deep ones are. Um, I mentioned earlier around around habits and and yeah, there there's some more charge in there, especially around food. Um, where, yeah, things come up, uh, shame around food or sugar, for example, for me, especially it's more of a self-shame where I, I find I can't stop doing something, for example, eating sugar. And so there is this element of what in me, like there's this notion that my body is super intelligent. So when it's, when it's craving something like sugar, there is some intelligence that's wanting to come out and so when I feel myself self-shaming around stuff like that, then it, it's also a sign of like, what is, what is alive right now? And what is, what is 
wanting this sugar when I don't want it. I, you know, I have so much knowledge around how unhealthy it is, but why am I still craving it? And so digging into what is my body trying to tell me. And so in my case, right, when I, when I dig into that, when I eat sugar and, and doing this thought of experiment of what is it like when I'm doing this habit that I don't want to do, um, I had an interesting experiment or ex experience doing that where in my mind, it was like, oh, I'm eating sugar to numb something or I don't want to feel something. But when I actually was present while I was eating a sugary treat, in this case, it was a donut, I noticed what my body was doing, which my legs started kicking. I started bobbing my head, I started singing to myself. And what was happening is that I was really, I was basically in a, a state of childlike joy. And that's what was happening was that my body was craving playfulness, joy, laughing, and this state. And a lot of my life is spent in these very uh, diligent, disciplined areas. And so very disciplined with my business. I'm very disciplined with my workout routine. I'm very disciplined with my self-reflection. And so there's not a lot of room to play. So my body starts craving it and it knows that when I eat sugar, it goes into that state of play. So yeah, my body will start craving sugar and I can't, it, it'll just like, that's, it's a one track mind, like give me that playfulness. So as soon as I can start bringing more play into my day or being more mindful of times when I am feeling this childlike joy, it has decreased the sugar cravings. Wow, that's, that's really great. I love that. I never thought about this like that. I'd like to add something here. And that is because you said a couple of times, you know, what does my body want? Or why does my body want this sugar? Or my body craves playfulness and stuff like that. What has really helped me as well in, in that journey mm. is, you know, we speak of the mind as a multitude. You said, you know, the voices that you hear, the, the parts that we have, you know, IFS, uh, internal family systems and all that is all about like identifying mm. the different parts that make up ourselves. And I now think of the body similarly. I don't think there is a thing called the body. Right. The body is a multitude as well, right? And there's a, it's a very complex ecosystem of all kinds of biological processes and even things that don't really belong to my body, like the gut bacteria, for example. So I, I think a lot about like, oh, okay, when I crave something, is it me that craves it? Like, as in, is it a psychological thing? Is it my body that craves it? As in, do I need nourishment? Mm. Or is it my gut bacteria that craves something? And they are kind of not really my body, but they're inside of my body and there's a symbiotic relationship. And I've read a lot about how the gut bacteria basically send chemical signals to the brain to tell us that like, hey, we need this thing. And so maybe part of that also when you're craving sugar is just your gut bacteria mm. thriving with more sugar and they just want more sugar. So they, they then give your body this impulse of like, hey, you want to feel playful? Get a donut, we'll be happy too. And so seeing the body as a multitude also allows me to be more compassionate with myself when it comes to things like that and, and just see those different parts of my body also as like, Mm. allies or, or, you know, more people I can sit around the fire with, to quote Rumi. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if that resonates for you or, or if you have any thoughts about the body as like an image of self. Yes, yes, that uh, resonates 
a bunch with me. I've, I've never done the internal family systems stuff, but this idea of having uh, different voices, different aspects of your body that are craving things, uh, different needs. And yeah, it's something that I've recently been diving into as well as these, these different archetypes even, um, especially when it comes, for me, when it comes to, yeah, masculinity in itself and understanding these different archetypes within me um, and seeing these different parts of myself as, as, as kind of like, yeah, like a boardroom, right? Where it's, you have the, the boss, but then you have all these little elements of yourself that all want to have a say in, in whatever is, is currently being presented and the ability to listen to each parts of those self and, and see what they need and ultimately make the decision as to what you're going to do and and also not get caught up in these these voices that have a very uh they have a one-track mind almost and so it's like all right i'm going to listen to this part of myself see what it needs maybe figure out a way to give that need without losing myself in in, in the big picture mm. yeah there's this whole train of thought that I'm exploring. I don't know if you've been following the advancements in AI, um, you know, mm. chat GPT and all that kind of stuff uh, and how that kind of relates to our understanding of consciousness or how the mind works or how the body works. And I think there's something in there that now with these autonomous agents, they're like creating instances of artificial intelligence who then can create subsystems to perform specific tasks. And I think maybe without even knowing we've we've discovered i think how how consciousness actually works in some ways i think it's quite similar in my perception mm. of how there are like subsystems there are different parts of myself that have different kinds of purposes uh, you know parts most of the parts try to keep me safe in some way but there's other parts as well and so one of my fun practices also is like to come back to the question about impulse and what it means to be authentic I think it's really fun to try to identify what part does an impulse come from? Because if the impulse says, mm. hey, I want a donut, that might come from the gut bacteria. If the impulse says, I don't know, I want to touch another human, that may come from some kind of like desire to feel more oxytocin in your body or whatever it is. So mm. like for me, understanding that the impulse even doesn't originate in one thing, but could come from many different places and then being compassionate with myself for sometimes not really understanding why I want something. That's, that's been a beautiful practice. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really resonate with that, uh, that part you said at the end about understanding why you want something. And yeah, I think that's been part of my practice as well is, 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 where is that coming from? And is it a biological system or is it a, a deeper intelligence? Uh, is it a, yeah, part of like your soul or something? This, this soul craving, if you want to get spiritual about it. But yeah, where, did, where is that coming from? Um, I think is, is a very powerful thought exercise for sure. Yeah. Dave, let's go into, I guess, maybe your main focus. I would love to know how journaling has impacted your relationship with yourself. Mm. And then maybe also what kind of journaling practice you currently have that helps that process. Mm. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, journaling has been the most powerful tool I have ever used to get deeper in touch with myself. And I've journaled about every day for over 10 years now. And in that time, the practice has evolved massively. And I think it's such a powerful tool and you can use it for so many things. Um, currently, I am going through a a heartbreak. So that has been my main use of the tool is, is a place for yeah, healing, uh, is a place for feeling and identifying how I'm feeling and a place to capture this raw emotion as a pressure release. So um, I think one of the beautiful things about journaling is is how versatile it is and depending on what i need i can adjust the tool for that so um, there is a part of me that really enjoys gratitude and so um, being grateful and helping me with these what i call my my the negative voices the the rough voices and having that gratitude practice always helps me put that in perspective but um yeah i mean my practice itself i have a i have a daily practice i have a weekly practice i have a monthly practice i have a yearly practice and then i have within that this this practice that helps me when basically my mind is racing when i when i need to have in the moment brain dumping right where for whatever reason, whether it's an amazing idea, whether it is me hearing a song that reminds me of my ex and it brings me to tears and I just want to capture that, what I'm feeling in that moment, um, that, that kind of serendipitous practice has, has been a massive part of myself, a massive part of my own rediscovering of who I am. And so while the, the, the scheduled practices, the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly is, is really great for, you know, planning and gratitude and, uh, documentation and stuff like that. It's, it's the, this brain dumping that I think has, has allowed me to remember who I am. Um, and oftentimes what happens is I'll, I will basically brain dump whatever is alive in that moment. And then I'll come back to it a usually a week later and reread it and pick out bits that are charged or powerful. Or when I read it, I'm like, oh, wow, that feels really good or novel or whatever. Following this impulse again of like, oh, wow, that, that's a, a beautiful piece. And then I'll come back to it a month later and reread those bold bits again and... Um, pick out just the the essential bits of it and then at the end of the year i'll, I'll go back and, and basically for the the parts the, the entries that were the most charged i will write these little summaries and that that practice has helped me start to notice patterns over a, a long course of time uh, oh i i seem to um, constantly struggle with with anger in these situations in relationship or um yeah so that i think that 
practice has been the most powerful for reconnecting to who I am. Um, while the the scheduled practice is amazing for for documenting and um, motivation and reminders of of where I've come from. Mm, thank you for sharing. I first want to express that I'm sorry you're going through heartbreak. That's mm. always difficult and also very yes. pregnant with meaning, <laughs> right? Like, mm. Mm. So yeah, I feel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what's most interesting about what you shared is this idea of coming back to your brain dumps. That has always been one of the aspects mm. of journaling that was difficult for me, as in I, I, I appreciate the brain dumps sometimes. But then I'm like, but what do I do with that, right? And oftentimes nothing happens with that. And then I'm not sure it actually has that much of an impact. Maybe just besides the um, releasing the charge or, or in some way, right? It kind of helps to just regulate, basically. Uh, but I love what you say about having the practice of then going back seven days later and then again in a month to kind of like mine that for, for insights. I think that's really beautiful. Um, I've... I've done something similar, maybe where I recently, when I, when I, when I finish a notebook, like when it's full, I kind of mm -hmm. don't want to keep it because, you know, like you, I am rather nomadic in my approach. I do have a base now, but I still travel a lot. And yeah, having a collection of notebooks to carry around is just not a good idea. So I go through the whole notebook mm -hmm. and I kind of try to find the most interesting ideas or the things maybe that I would want to think about again or want to come back to. And then I make it like a summary of those in my new notebook or something like that. It's not perfect in any way, but I guess it's better than, than nothing at all. But your practice seems more mm. precise and more organized. So I, I do appreciate that. Mm. I'm curious if, you know, in your more organized journaling practice, you say like the, the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing, do you start from a constructed set of questions or do you allow yourself to also make up questions on the fly hmm. so i would say in general it is more of a template that is is run through at the uh, it's the same um with and with wiggle room right so my daily practice is is about tracking what's important to me so um, based on what is important that I usually set at the, the start of the year will inform what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. But that also, that also changes. So to give a simple example with fitness, um, I am one of my goals at the moment is to do a freestanding handstand pushup. And so one of the aspects of the daily journaling is to keep track of this goal and check in with it every single day. And so once that has happened then i will be interested interested in something else and so the the main aspect of the daily journaling is to is to really keep track of what is important to me um so at the moment it is at the start is a in the moment check-in around and not a check-in it's an in the moment affirmation and so i will free write yeah what is alive and what I want to affirm about myself. And so that is constantly changing. Every day it's different. And it is a moment for this creativity, for this practice of following the impulse. What, what do I want to write? And what do I want to say to myself? And so I'll, it'll be about four lines. 
then after that is where I, uh, I really check in with these, these, these goals like fitness or finances. And so it's, it's uh, more analytical. Like, did I do it? Did I not? Uh, and, and kind of keeping track of the tally. Then I will have a, then there's a section where I, I ask and answer two questions. And these two questions have been the same for six years or so. And it's, how am I feeling? And what do I create? And so I will answer those in the moment. Um, sometimes it'll be the same day to day. Sometimes they'll be constantly changing. And then the last bit, which has been, which is, is really what started the journaling habit in the first place 10 years ago is I will write at least three highlights from my day. Um, so I'm journaling in the morning and it's, it's these highlights are about the previous day. And so that is, that's the piece that has stayed consistent over 10 years. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, one of my, my favorite bits of the journaling practice. And we were talking about this, this daily, weekly, monthly, yearly thing. And so, yeah, my favorite, it's, it's like a little trophy where at the end of the month, I'll go back through all these daily highlights, reread them, pick out my favorite. Usually it's around 20 to 30. And so then I'll have like all oh, the, the coolest 20 or 30 things that happened to me that month. Then at the end of the year, I can go back every month and then filter through those. And then I will have a list of, you know, the coolest 20 things that happened to me for the year. Um, and so that's, that's the practice that it started the whole thing. And what I have built everything else on top of. Mm. Yeah, I I have, and I host a quite similar practice with relating to self. I do a yearly, mm. like a year in review kind of thing that I host for my community. And then we have monthly, month in reviews where we kind of like keep track and, and see how we're doing and if anything's changed. And I think one of the one of the challenges that I still have is like in every monthly review session, we make new commitments and intentions for the month to come. And then mm -hmm. keeping track of those, as in remembering to think about them, is hard. I've noticed in the past that, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm very clear, like, yes, this is something I want to commit to. And then the next month in review session, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I completely forgot about this thing. So I guess that's where your daily affirmation, your daily reminder of like, what is it that I want to attend to is really helpful. Um, so yeah, I should try mm. that, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about journaling is I encourage people to see it as an experiment where you come up with an idea, you, and to really frame it like this, this is an experiment. You come up with an idea of something that you think you want to do. You try it out for a month and have this conversation of, did this work? Did it not? Did I like it? Do I want to keep it? Do I want to adjust it? And um, yeah, I'm moving with it on the fly. Yeah. For me personally, one of the most helpful questions that I use in my journaling practice is what am I avoiding? What am I avoiding? Yeah, that's one that never fails to bring up something interesting, right? Like wherever I am, whatever I'm feeling, uh, whatever mood I'm in, if I tune into what I'm avoiding, there's also always some, some juicy stuff there. So I'm wondering if you have any of those questions, like the one question that you can always use to bring up something that's interesting for you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of the questions that I, I continually 
there's a set of three that I will often use where it's, it's, it's um, what challenges am I currently facing? Or what do I find challenging right now? What do I want to brag about? And what's the third one? Challenge, brag about. And then I'm, I'm blinking. Oh, and what am I um, daydreaming about? So th those those three, um, oftentimes, will will bring stuff into my focus. Especially, I, I really like the bragging one because that's such. Growing up, that was something I we just don't do. You do not brag about yourself, and so to have this constant reminder to celebrate myself has been super helpful for me. I love that so much. Because that's definitely also been a challenge for me. And I think it's so important to celebrate the wins, to celebrate even the small wins, to remind ourselves mm. that we are evolving, growing, getting better at things. You know, that's so beautiful. I've never framed it in terms of bragging. I think that feels yeah. edgy. I'm like, even as you said exactly. that, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Right. I'm I'm pretty good already at celebrating myself for things, but bragging feels like Ooh, interesting. I'm I'm gonna journal about that one. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Yeah. That's definitely helpful. Yeah. And if, if you want even more um more of a charge, there's an exercise of, of shadow bragging where you you talk about these times where these repressed parts of yourself came out and so it could be anything, right? Where it's like you're at the gym and you see this, you see the person next to you struggle with a weight that you just lifted and you have this moment of you're like, fuck yeah, I'm lifting more than you. And it's like this humble or this, this shadow brag where you're like, whoa, there was part of me that was just like so into the fact that I am better than this person. And having these moments of like, where are my shadow brags? Or, you know, gossip is another one that oftentimes comes up with me where someone starts sharing they start talking about another person and, you know, there's this higher version of myself that's like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be talking about other people. But then there's this part of me that's like, oh, yeah, give it to me. Give me that. <laughs> give me that that tea, man. And so it's like having these moments of like, oh, yeah, where are my, my shadow brags? <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so juicy as well. This whole idea of, you know, the shadow work and everything. I, mm. there's, one, there's one practice I discovered or was given, I guess, last summer that changed a lot of things for me and I'm still kind of processing that and that is something like it's a practice you do with someone and you basically talk to each other and it's a very very fast kind of talking and you just always repeat what the other says mm. so I say something about you and in the beginning it's supposed to be quite neutral so like oh I notice you're smiling and then you just repeat I'm smiling you're smiling I'm smiling you know all that kind of stuff and then as soon as something comes up for you an emotion or something you change the the phrase and then but you keep repeating what I'm saying. And then I might say something like, no, you suck or you're terrible. And then you just say, I'm terrible. And you just fully like integrate that and we keep going. And I noticed that for me, this brings so much lightness to things because mm. there is always ways in which anything someone can say about me is true. Like, yeah, I suck in I suck in many ways and yeah, I'm an asshole sometimes. And yep, and just like fully, fully believing and accepting the fact that I have these shadow parts that usually I try to avoid or kind of like hide for people. 
but it's true. They're all there because I'm human, and you know, mm. the whole the whole the whole world is inside of me, basically. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you if you have a specific shadow practice, like an acceptance shadow practice, and if that's part of your journaling, or if that's something different. So it's not something I've worked into my journaling yet, but it's something that has become very alive for me. This this idea of the shadow, and very recently, something I've been wanting to put more time into and this it's it's yeah this idea that these parts of yourself are some of the truest parts um and i remember i i did a i've had a few experiences where the, the shadow has come out and it has been so fascinating i, I was at a, a tantric retreat and it was a long retreat and at one point we were doing some type of shadow work. I can't remember exactly what the exercise was called, but you would embody these different aspects of, they, they would call out a specific shadow. So for example, the creep. And as a, as a man, you know, there's this, there's always this voice in my head of like, don't be creepy, can't be creepy. That's It's unsafe to be creepy. But in this exercise, it was like, be as creepy as you can. And it was so fascinating given the permission like there was a bunch of there was a bunch of other different ones, but I remember the creep specifically because it was so easy for my body to go into this space, and there would be there was like women walking around, and it's like be as creepy as you want. And so the things that came out of my mouth, it was like the floodgates had opened, and there was finally like this release of like oh my gosh, I can be this piece of myself, and it was so fascinating to see how quickly I dropped into it and how comfortable it felt like this this part of myself was like oh finally i can like stretch and be this part of you that you never release and the feedback that i got from people in that was like wow it felt so good to receive that like you were actually being authentic like you were saying these things that you truly felt and it felt so good to receive and it was like whoa this part of me that i had been so afraid of Many people were like, wow, I really love that, actually. So it was such a unique exercise. Yeah, amazing. Well, for me, it often, you know, it all comes back basically to being seen, being mm. heard. I think our deepest desire is something like being seen and being heard. And that also means that we desire to see and hear others. And mm. then when you, when you notice that others are hiding parts of themselves, there's a tension there because no, I just want to see you, you know, show yourself to me. Mm. And this act of, for me, that's one of the, of the biggest questions still. It's like, why is it so difficult when I know that all I really want is to be fully seen and heard? Why is it then so difficult to show myself? Mm. And why is it so easy for me to receive others? Like when I ask others, please show yourself more fully and they're afraid and I encourage them and they do so. It's like, Wow, that was amazing. I loved receiving that from you. Mm. Why is it still so difficult for me to do that though? <laughs> right? It's yeah, that's that's the question that I'm facing right now. Mm. Yeah, I I feel you on that. Um and yeah, these 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 containers that I've been putting myself into has been helpful for that, right? When I can feel and it's like there's this little part of me that's testing, right? Where it's like, all right, I'm gonna, sh I'm just gonna let out like a little bit and see how you handle it. And when I can feel that 
non-judgmental welcoming and love it's like oh all right let me just do a little bit more and it is this uh, one of the retreats i went to he called it your tender edge where your goal is to yeah, stay right at the edge of your comfort zone and to treat everyone like they're on their tender edge and you know the idea is just to have one foot straddling and keep your nervous system in a state of relaxation and so yeah there's a tendency for me where it's like i will take it too far i will jump with two feet way out of my comfort zone and it's like my entire nervous system just like jumps in and i like retreat back way back into the comfort zone and so there is this this aspect of my practice where there's these pieces where it's like how do i get better at that and it's like all right Instead of throwing myself into the deep end, how can I just, you know, do one step and let my nervous system get comfortable with that? And then the comfort zone expands and then I can go a little bit further. I hear you so much. That's one of the mm. things also I've learned to identify quite recently that there's quite a big disconnect or let's say... Um, a mismatch between what I understand about myself, what I cognitively know about myself, what I believe to be true in the world, and then how my nervous system responds to things. It's like way behind, right? It's like, I know all these things are totally fine, but then somehow when I'm in that circumstance, my nervous system acts up. It's like, ooh, this is not safe. I'm like, no, this is absolutely safe. What are you talking about? Mm. But the nervous system has its own logic and there is no other way than to, like you said, gently put it out there and then let it feel that it's okay. It's like the nervous system is always like, almost like some kind of wild animal, right? That you have to like gently show like, you know, it's okay to be here, you know, smell mm. my hand. It's okay. I'm, now I'm going to pet you. It's like, it's all good. So thank you yeah. for bringing that. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, my this awareness of the nervous system was an interesting thing for me as well. And a big part of my own coming back to myself is, is, yeah, this honest reflection and deep dive into what I was truly feeling. And when I started with nervous system awareness, it was it was very interesting to see. I used to always consider myself like so chill. Oh, I'm so chill, nothing bothers me. And I would be in these these situations with a partner or a group of friends, and it's it's like these intense topics would come up. And I'm like, oh, I'm chill. It doesn't bother me. And when I dove into it deeper, what I found out is that I was actually just fully disassociating. I had bypassed fight and flight. And I had completely disassociated from my body. I couldn't feel anything because I had just, yeah, completely left. And so that was a, a huge awareness for me of, of like, oh, I'm actually not that chill. I am very sensitive. And my nervous system gets can flare up very very easily and i'm yeah not 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 chill at all <laughs> yeah or from my perspective both could be true mm -hmm. a part of you is really chill and mm -hmm. then another part of you freaks out at the same time and these things yeah. are not necessarily impossible to happen at the same time and it's it's weird but that's also something i've been learning more and more is this acceptance of seemingly paradoxical mm. feelings, thoughts, beliefs, whatever, that all exist at the same time. And holding space for those differences 
kind of is my task. Like this idea of consistency um, is something that I got from childhood. Like I need to be consistent. I need to have like a, let's call it a, a logical kind of way of interacting with the world. And more and more, I'm just discovering, mm. wait, but nothing about this is logical in any way. <laughs> there are so many different parts doing so many different things. And I can just sit here and watch them and go like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I resonate with that logical aspect as well. I'm a very A-type personality and everything needs to be logical and Lately, it's been, how do I let that go? How do I allow for these these paradoxes where both things can be true? Like, I can be feeling so happy and joyful, but also so sad mm -hmm. at the same time. And how can I have space for both of them? And that is more true, I think, the paradoxes. Beautiful. Dave, thank you so much. This was a lovely end to this conversation. Um, I will put the links to where people can find you, where people can have a conversation with you, where people can maybe interact with your work in some way in the show notes. Um, all that rests is to wish you a beautiful rest of your day. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing conversation. Thank you. Ciao. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.